beginning to rain, rain, rain. Oh, 
Amen. Don't it feel good to get some oxygen in your lungs and raise your voice and act like a lunatic for the Lord? Yeah. Amen. Praise Jesus. Let's go in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for making us lunatics. Thank you for giving us oxygen and voices to raise to you. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to be worried who might be standing near, who might hear us praise you or worship you. We have no need of shame or uh, being embarrassed or being afraid or timid or fearful, but rather we would lift our voices on high Praise our Lord, our King, our Theos Almighty, our Creator, our Heavenly Father, the Alpha, the Omega, the First and the Last, the Almighty, the Eternal, the One and the Only, Jesus, the Father. Praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for a new month. Thank you for getting us through last month. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that you did not strike us down. You are faithful to finish the word that you started in us. We pray that we will never depart from you. We know that you will not forsake us if we do not forsake you first. Praise your holy name. Father, please help us today, Lord, to grow in the measure of your spirit and maturity and into the center of your will even more than before. Please help us take the next step toward life and eternity. Let us not take any step backwards from this moment forth, but continually forward with more boldness, with more courage, with more energy and more passion and more zeal for you and your kingdom and your praise. Lord, Heavenly Father, this service is yours, we are yours, and this work is yours. Please use us, move through us, send us, speak through us. Give us your eyes and your ears, your feet, your mouth, your energy and your power. We always give you the glory and the praise, today, tomorrow, and forever, and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Amen. Today is the first day of the second month. First day of the second month. Amen. Let's play the show far. Let's see. I 
praise Jesus. I finally remembered it after so many weeks of trying to remember to play that. All right, let's turn to the book of Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians chapter three. And the topic today is the causes of legalism. What causes legalism? There's a lot of different reasons, lots of different things cause legalism. We'll look at a few of the major causes of legalism. In 2 Corinthians 3, we're reading in the Alpha and Omega Bible translation, which is a restoration of the original scriptures from the Dead Sea Scrolls and different other agent manuscripts, scrolls and codexes, the Alpha and Omega Bible. In 2 Corinthians 3, we're going to read from verse 6 through 18. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6 through 18. Verse 6 says, talking about Theos, who has made us advocates as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. When we talk about the letter of the law, we're talking about legalism. Amen. Absolutely. But the Spirit gives life. The Spirit means the spiritual principle, the reason that God created the law to begin with. What was his purpose? Amen. God's purpose was not just to be master and to have servants, and not just to have control, but rather to get the people to not be evil, to get the people to behave themselves, to to help the people stay in line with what is good, with what is good, that there's only one God, that is good, that is truth. Anything opposite of that is negative, is evil is darkness, and he doesn't want people worshiping a million false gods and fairy tales, right? But he makes the law to keep people in line with what is true, with the truth. Those that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Verse 7, but if the ministry of death, legalism, in letters engraved on stones, came with glory, talking about in the time of Moses, so that the sons of Jezreel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. The face of Moses did shine because he had saw God. That was in the context of receiving 
the law engraved in tablets. And the longer he stayed away from God after he came down from the mountain, the more that the light faded. Even though they still had tablets of stone inside the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? The Spirit of the law has even more glory. The purpose of it has even more glory. And the giver of the law has even more glory. So many people in the Hebrew roots, cults, and that's exactly what they are, always, always, always talking about the law, the law, the law, everything is the law. They said, we got to return to the Torah. Return to the Torah, return to the Torah. That's all they talk about. What about returning to the giver of the Torah? Ain't that greater? Scripture says in Hebrews 3 that the builder of the house has more glory than the house itself. People worshipped the temple and forgot to worship the one that instructed the building of the temple. Amen. Verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what has glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. But if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Now Hebrews 4 says that the Sabbath still remains to the people of God. Sabbath has a lot of glory because it doesn't only just keep people in line, but also gives us mercy, gives us grace, gives us a day to lay down, rest, to fellowship, to be with our brothers and sisters that might be across town or in the next town if we had such a congregation of the entire region of everybody in all the eastern part of Tennessee and western North Carolina, if they came to this place every seventh day like they're supposed to, then we would be able to have such a great fellowship. Amen. And in verse 12, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Jezreel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day. And I would say, yes, even to this very day. At the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. If we look at Christ's commandments of the foot washing and the wine and unleavened bread on Passover day, he did change the law. There was a change in the law, as Hebrews says, Hebrews 7, that there was a change in the law. He didn't do away with all law, but he did replace the old covenant. Why does it use the word old covenant? 
like a house that's been remodeled. Amen. And replaced with a new covenant with more glory. Amen. It sparkles more with an upgrade. Stainless steel refrigerator. It's better than the old one. Amen. But the old one is removed in Christ. And Christ gave us the new covenant in his blood and in his body. He didn't do away with the holy days. No, he did not do away with the holy days, but he changed how we keep the holy days. We used to keep the holy days to remember we crossed the Red Sea and he freed us from Egypt. Hey, but uh, I've never been to Egypt in my life. Have you? It's an important historical account and, and commemoration of what God did for his people, our ancestors, our forefathers, and all that's good and dandy. But Bible says that in the future we'll no longer be speaking of that deliverance, but rather we'll be speaking of the deliverance from the Assyrian and from Babylon. So we have our own historical events in our day, in our life, that were surpassed, that will absolutely surpass the glory of all the events during the lifetime of Moses. The Bible says that those people back then would not even be able to make it in except for our testimony and what's going to happen in our life. The scriptures are still being written. The Bible is not complete. I'm still working on it. Because God has anointed me as his end-time apostle to continue to write down his words, lead his people. And there is a second exodus coming. It has nothing to do with me. But all glory to the Father, that he could and will and is willing to use someone like me, so much sin and flaws, human flaws and carnality and all problems that exist with me, that he would choose you and me and him and her these few little specks on the planet. He's not really using Billy Graham and all these TV evangelists, but rather he's using unknown people, raising up the underdog, the people who have not been exalted by the world, people that that, that the world despise and hate, look down upon. He is raising up the Davids of our time. Amen. God is great. Amen. And it says here that in verse 15, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Talking about the Hebrew roots and the Jews, same thing, and the Muslims. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You're no longer blind to the spirit of the law. 
Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom from legalism and from the letter of the law and from sin and darkness and death. Verse 18, but we all with unveiled face now as the bride of Christ, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, our face should be shining. Amen? Not frowning, shining, rejoicing. Smile on your face. I did not want to get up this morning, but I knew we was going to worship the Lord. Very quickly, I started rejoicing and praising God. As that song says, it's all right to praise the Lord and woke up with a song praising the Lord. We need to take that song and live it. It's not a good, not good enough just only to sing that if it's not true. We need to be waking up rejoicing. Amen. And I do hope that every one of us spent at least five, ten minutes in prayer before we jumped out into the open. Because before we say hello to anybody else, we need to say hello to our Master, our Lord, our King, our God, our Redeemer, our Savior, the lover of our souls. Amen. First one that ever loved us. Amen. not forsake the Lord. We are the bride of Christ, waking up in the morning with him, looking upon his face, loving on him, looking upon him and our face shines and being transformed into the same image to look like our Father from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Amen. The more that we look upon God, focus upon him and not the letter of the law, not the Torah, which is only the first five books. And not just 613 commandments, but the rest of the book and the giver of it the one that inspired it, the one that called all those sinners to write down his words, such as Paul, who said he was the greatest sinner. You'll see that in a few minutes, God. Amen. The more you read the Bible, the more you'll fall in love with him. God is so great. Amen. We need to look at God in the midnight hour and the time of distress and sickness and pain and agony and persecution and mocking and laughter and fear and temptation and all those different times and more, good times and bad times, we need to look at God. Worship Him. Spend time worshiping Him. If you have to go get in the car, to get away from everybody else and to be able to turn the radio up louder, then so be it. Or if you got to walk down the road with headphones on or whatever you need to do 
to spend private time with the Lord. And I just threw my hand over my shoulder. But we need to worship God throughout the week. Amen. It's okay to act a little crazy. Amen. It's all right to go around talking to the Spirit and thin air right in front of people. It's okay. They laugh at us anyway, mock us anyway, call us crazy, stupid. They call us deceived. They call us a cult. All that. So what? So what? Who cares what other people think? Who cares what other people say? Amen. We have liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. Amen. Look at Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 30. Acts 17, verse 30. Now, one of the reasons of the cost of legalism is people forget the purpose of the law. That's one of the reasons. They forget the purpose of the law. They look at the letter of the law and forget the spiritual purpose, spiritual reason, the spirit of the law. So they're looking at the wrong thing. They're looking at the ABCs and not thinking about why. And it's okay to ask why. We need to be asking why did God command this so that we understand what he really wants, his reason behind it. Amen. In Acts 17.30, we see something else. Is that ignorance is one of the reasons of legalism. Ignorance. Truly the Theos, verse 30, Acts 17, verse 30, truly the Theos overlooked ignorance in times past, but now declares to all humanity everywhere to repent. Amen. Now, even though we don't say nothing about legalism there, I'm telling you that ignorance, and I will tell you why, ignorance is one of the major causes of legalism. Perfect example, King James only people. King James only people, and there's a lot of them, especially in the United States. They believe only in that one translation and only that one translation, and many of them believe it's actually the first English Bible ever written, and it's not. And some of them are so ignorant through the condition of stupidity it goes beyond regular ignorance all the way to the level of what you can only call what you could only call stupidity when they think that it was the original and first Bible that ever existed. And some of them actually believe that. That's how much they surpassed just ignorance and cross that line into stupidity. Really? The first Bible that ever existed? So that means that Jesus and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those people 
would have been reading the King James Version thousands of years before it was even written. The Bible just told us in Corinthians that we need to use bold speech. Say it the way it is. Because only by saying the way it is can we defeat that level of ignorance and that kind of foolishness and stupidity. Amen. We have to cover the basic elementary things. We have to cover all the things about milk and all the building stones and start with the basic elementary things on these people that are not saved. Too many times we try to give too much meat when these people don't even know the very basic elementary things yet. So we have to remember that they are children and lost and blind and start gentle and slow with them. And unfortunately, we do have to treat them like babies with uh, kids' gloves. We really do. It's sad, but it's the reality of things. Now, ignorance about the King James and the Bible and language and translations is a major cause of legalism because they say, well, the King James Version says this in A, B, C. This is exactly the Word of God without mistake, without error, without any problems with the translation, all of that. And therefore, when it says that God hates sinners in the King James Version, then he must be hating everybody, and that leads to people actually not even believing in God because they stayed with the King James Version. I have seen it. I have witnessed it with my own eyes because they could not see beyond the King James Version that they actually took those verses and no longer even believe in God. The King James Version is responsible for people falling away from God, even from the truth. I've seen it. And the King James Version is very much responsible for many, many, many people not even getting saved in the first place because of the, what, what the King James says about God hating everybody and that we must hate everybody. Amen. And it causes a lot of homeless. We've seen that. So many times that people, the homeless people, say I'm homeless because the King James Version says that I'm not even to take one thought about tomorrow, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear. I have, I, I'm, Jesus said I'm not supposed to plan anything. I'm not supposed to be responsible. I'm not supposed to be mature. I'm not supposed to worry about my bills. I have to be homeless like Jesus was homeless. And I have to hang out with the drug addicts because Jesus hung out with the sinners. Man, we got a lot of work to do, don't we? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10. The Bible just said, he used to wink. That means turn a blind eye to, close his eyes for a second to the ignorance, but he no longer turns a blind eye to the ignorance. Now he commands everybody, everywhere, to repent. Ignorance is no longer an excuse. Amen. 
1 Corinthians 10. God willing, we'll read this whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 10, the entire chapter. One Corinthians ten verse one. But I do not want you to be ignorant. We're just talking about ignorance, and Paul said over and over and over, he don't want us to be ignorant. We should be educated in the Lord, in Scripture, in history. Amen. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. Remember, there was a pillow of cloud by day and far by night, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses, not into Jesus. Do not misunderstand this. Many, many, many people say everybody across the Red Sea were saved, and therefore they will be in the first resurrection. They're saved. Moses will be with us in the first resurrection. All that nonsense, which they cannot be. They cannot be in heaven, nor in the first resurrection, because they were baptized into Moses. Now, does Moses save us? No. Is Moses our Savior? No. Moses is not our Savior. Moses did not die for us. Even if Moses, if God forbid that he ever had a, a ton of blood lost from his body, it, it still would not have saved us. Even if they had crucified Moses, we would not be singing songs. Well, maybe people would, but we wouldn't be singing songs about the cross of Moses. You know? Baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, footnote says baptism into Moses is the same as baptism in John's. It wasn't good enough either, was it? John the baptizer? Who was it, Paul or somebody later on? Count some people. They had been baptized into John's baptism, John the baptizer. He said, you got to get baptized in Jesus. That's what he said. Peter or Paul, whoever it was, don't matter. So, if John's baptism was not good enough, then neither was Moses' baptism. Amen? They were foreshadowings. But they are still not saved until baptized in Jesus. All Old Testament people must rise in the second resurrection to live another hundred years to learn about Jesus' baptism and to commit to him in that baptism. Amen? Now, verse 3, and all ate the same spiritual food. They all did receive the gospel. Revelation, I mean, Hebrews 3 and 4. So if they did receive the gospel, but they didn't obey, and they didn't believe, and they didn't commit, Hebrews says. But they did eat the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So Paul is, in his thinking, perhaps true, perhaps not, but in Paul's thinking, that the food, the water from the rock, there was water that came from the rock. Now, God brought that water. Spiritually, they drunk it, and it was Christ. But that might be true to some extent, but was it the wine? 
was it the new covenant one? Wouldn't it be actually water from tablets of stone? Wouldn't it really be water from stone and the letter of the law and the tablets of the law and not the powerful, strong, effective, antiseptic, alcohol, mature, adult wine of Passover. These are two different things. Even if that water did represent Christ and was from God and was a blessing and was a mode of deliverance, it still pales in the glory that comes from the blood of Christ. Amen? And all these things were only foreshadowings. All these things were only foreshadowings. The real water, the real bread, the real blood, the real salvation is only in the Passover lamb fulfillment of the blood of Jesus, which was not yet shed. And they didn't understand. And they didn't keep the commandments. And everyone that was baptized except for only Moses, Caleb, and Joshua, only three men who crossed the Red Sea were still alive at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness. So how were they all saved and how did they all, how did all of them get baptized? How, how did all of them uh, going to be in heaven? No, no, no. God cursed every one of those people except for those three men. Then when you look at only those three men, let's just look at those three men, Caleb, Joshua, Moses. They still did not receive the blood of Christ. I don't think they fully understood the, the blood of Christ. There's no way possible they could have understood the blood of Christ. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, Theos was not well pleased, for they were slain in the desert. Now, these things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. And there was other times that many of them were slain as well. Many people take that eat and drink thing, say we cannot drink. Well, if we cannot drink, we can't eat either because it says eat and drink. If you're going to use this verse, say we can't drink, then you also got to say we can't eat because it uses both words. The problem was not the drinking. The problem was not the eating. The problem was how they played how they played toward it in disobedience. That was the problem. Verse 9, nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks that he stands take heed that he does not fall. In other words, don't get too high, proudful, be careful, take heed, be careful how you walk. Because these people received the gospel too, but they still fell in the wilderness. They had a great deliverer. Moses was a great deliverer. And they fell. They had a great prophet. They saw miracles of God, and they all still fell away. But just because you know the truth and see miracles and have a pastor and, and you're truly in the work of God, don't think you can't fall away. As I said yesterday, don't think it's impossible. Not impossible. The devil is always roaring about like a lion circling the camp. Always, 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 always. Verse 13. No temptation or trial has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and Theos is faithful, who would not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able. The Bible does say that. But with the temptation or the trial will provide the way of escape also, so that you will that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, run from idolatry. Amen. Run from it. Amen. That that means don't go to the Christmas party with your family. Easter party and don't don't accept the invitation. Don't accept the Christmas card. Return the Christmas card and say, do not ever send a card to me like this ever again. Do not do this. I will not accept it. Take it back. And they try to give us $1,000 for Christmas two weeks early. No, I will not accept it. Hey, I need that $1,000, but I will not accept it. It's bribery, ain't it? Ain't it? Bribery. Run from the idolatry. Do not compromise with it. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless communion in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break communion in the body of Christ? When you take communion, you don't just take communion with only the blood of Christ, also with one another. We are uniting as one bride. Amen. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we are all partake in one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices the sharers in the altar? Do I, what do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or is that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to theos. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Meaning, at the same time, it's one or the other. You cannot be branded with 666 and sealed of the Holy Ghost at the same time. We said this yesterday. How can the Holy Ghost and the devil both dwell in you at the same time? It's impossible. Where there is light, there is not darkness. Where there is darkness, there is not light. The darkness and light cannot exist in the same temple. Amen. 
I don't think Paul fully understood the resurrections. There's a lot that Paul did not understand, just like Herbert W. Armstrong with the Worldwide Church of God. I know a lot of people put him down and condemn him and everything, and I know he had some things wrong. But I do believe that Herbert W. Armstrong, who died in 1986, when I was a teenager, I do believe that he was a true man of God and that he was the apostle of the time. But he did not have everything right. He had several, several things not correct. And I don't believe it was possible for him to have it all correct in that time, in that generation. There are things that Paul could not understand, that Moses could not understand, that Peter could not understand, and that Herbert Armstrong could not understand. But rather, was a building process upon the house of God, upon the body, that as we get closer and closer to the great tribulation and to the coming of the Lord, that more is being opened up. The seals are being opened, that knowledge is increased, not only in the world, but in the church. That there is a revelation of Jesus Christ that is not opened until the end. A revelation of Jesus Christ that is not revealed, opened until the end. So we have to be careful about completely condemning the older apostles from beforehand. But we also, we show them mercy, we show them grace, we respect them, we honor them. Thank God for the writings of Paul. Thank God for the writings of Herbert W. Armstrong. But there is a new generation now, and God is still speaking. God is still speaking and inspiring scripture. And I'm not afraid to say that I do consider the writings that God has given me and inspired me to write with power, with authority, in Christ Jesus, with the Holy Ghost, with his filling, with his anointing, with his inspiration, with his okay, his blessing, and his anointing that those writings are scripture. I don't have a problem with saying that. And I know that most people would have a huge problem when they hear me say that. But what is scripture? What is scripture? Scripture is nothing more than what man has written. Sinful man. Paul. Romans 7. Admit it, confess that he had a huge struggle with sin. All men has. But scripture is writings written by men who were inspired by the Holy Ghost, as the Bible says. So why would my writings not be scripture? If I am a prophet of God, if I am an apostle of God, and if I am inspired by God, and if it's the truth, and if most of it is only quoting Scripture, as they did, right? How Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them, Peter, quoted Scripture over and over and over. 
I'm not exalting myself. I'm not lifting myself up. I'm not speaking out of pride. But I'm telling you something you need to know. Because I do preach with authority. Even as Jesus did, and the Bible says that they were shocked, they were amazed how Jesus spoke with authority. Amen. So I'm telling you, with the authority of Christ, and not with my authority, but with his authority, that however you read this chapter about people being baptized and eating of the same altar and eating of the same bread and all that, Paul did not fully understand, or else we're not fully understanding him, one or the other. But actually, I know he did not fully understand. And it was impossible for him to fully understand. 2,000 years ago. Amen. He had just learned the new covenant himself. And he started preaching, I believe, the very same day or the next day after he got saved. And when you do that... You're going to make mistakes. It was okay. He was called to preach immediately. But he grew. And you can even see that in his writings, how he grew in the truth as he got older and more experienced. We have to perfect our gifts, master our gifts. You can see some of his writings are a little bit contradictory to each other, I believe. I can see... Now, sometimes he's too lenient on something, and then later on he's stronger on it. You've got to understand he didn't write it all in one day. It was over the process of years that he wrote the New Testament. He was only human. He was only human. But we consider it in Scripture because he was a true man of God and a true apostle of God. Now, it says here, verse 22, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? In other words, don't be two-faced. Don't be worshiping God and the devil at the same time. Do not be eating things sacrificed to the devils because that would make God jealous if we do eat things sacrificed to devils, right? That made God jealous. So he's basically right there saying, don't do that. But he kind of talks in circles a lot. Even Peter said Paul's writings are hard to understand, absolutely hard to understand. He talks in circles. He, he was double-minded in some ways. He really was. But we still honor and respect him, even in his weakness. Amen. But scripture is being perfected. It is. Verse 23, most things are, are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Most things are lawful, but not all things edify. Now, when we talk about legalism, we have to be careful. I'm not saying we can do just anything. I'm not saying exercise so much, so much authority and so much liberty and so much freedom that you can just do anything you want. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we can... Uh, do halal, eat things that are halal. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we can eat things sacrificed to idols. But most things are lawful. 
So there's a comparison here of things that are forbidden and things that are allowed. There are laws, there are restrictions, there are don'ts, but then there is also liberty. We got to learn the difference, and it takes time and maturity and instruction and teaching. It takes all these things. Most things are lawful, but not everything is profitable. Not everything edifies. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor and eat everything that is sowed in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. That was in the context of where they did not have a stamp, a mark, a branding on the product at that day and that time. And that day and that time, they would sacrifice meat to idols and then take the leftover from that and then sell it in the marketplace. And there was no label upon it to let you know that it had been previously sacrificed. So it's an entirely different context than what we have today where there is an actual label on it letting you know that it is, not only was sacrificed, but it's still, to that very moment that you buy it, it's still dedicated to the devil. That's a huge difference. That is a huge, huge, huge difference. Not knowing where it came from is vastly, hugely different than having a label on it saying 666, which is exactly what the halal means. It means halal means to defile the name of God. Look it up. It means to blaspheme the name of God, to defile the name of God, to commit fornication and immorality, and to take a branding, a piercing. Branding. Talking about 666. So entirely different. They had a different generation, different context. But yes, we are, and we can eat anything sold in the meat market without asking questions for the conscious sake. If it is not marked, we can. He's right that we can eat it if we don't know where it came from. If we don't know where it came from, we can eat it. Verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you go to eat, eat anything that's set before you while asking questions or conscious say, you don't have to ask, is this halal? If you don't see the label and you have no reason to believe that this is halal, it is set before you, you are to be respectful to your host. You are to be respectful to the person who is feeding you, blessing you, providing for you, who is, you're in their home, you're in their house. It is food being presented to you. Be thankful for it. You do not see that mark. Do not be paranoid where it may have come from. But be respectful and polite in the house that you are in. Verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. But I would be stronger than Paul. And say it's much more than just for conscience sake or for their sake, but rather it is death or life. So Paul was a little too weak on this. But he didn't fully, he didn't know what was to come. 
you know, remember it was a different generation. He didn't know what was to come in our generation. If Paul was alive today, he would have grown in the truth about this. He would have grown in boldness about this. I have no doubt that Paul, if he was alive today, would say that if they tell you it's a law, it's a life and death situation. Paul would say that. I know he would. Amen. So always remember when you read in Scripture who they were talking to and what the situation was in that day and in that time. That's very important. What verse was that? Verse 29? Verse 28? And verse 29 says, I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. So why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning the things which I give thanks? Rather than you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of Theos. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or to the congregation of called out ones to Theos, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Basically, he's saying, be respectful in somebody else's house. And I agree with him. He just needed to be stronger, but he could not be stronger, not knowing what was to come to pass in our generation. Now let's go to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Colossians 2. Colossians, chapter 2. That is after Philippians which is after Ephesians. Colossians 2, verse 16. Colossians 2, verse 16, he read this about the new moons when Jesus was revealing to us that we are to keep the new moons. And we've read this a million times in different contexts. I always will come back to this a whole lot, a whole lot. It's a very important verse. Verse 16, but let no one condemn you in regard to food or alcohol or in respect to a fiesta or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are the prophetic foreshadowings. For the substance belongs to Christ, the substance of the new moon observance, the substance of the holy days, the substance of the fiestas, the substance of the Sabbath, and the partying associated with it, feasting and drinking on those days. The substance of these things is Christ, so it's not wrong. And it's not done away with, because the body of Christ is not done away with, amen. It's all planet is part of the building of the body of Christ. Amen. Now, they are foreshadowings of prophecies. 
all the holy days, we know on the five holy days in the end time prophetic timeline. While I'm on that, before I forget for the hundredth time, we are on the countdown to Pentecost now. We have 35 days to Pentecost. 35 days to Pentecost. Now we started counting during the days of unleavened bread, starting from that Sunday that was within that week. So, I want to point you through something. Why do we count the days to Pentecost from unleavened bread? If you notice on the calendar, the five holy days, in the end time prophetic timeline, I want to put this at the end of the New Testament if I've not yet. I think I have, Heather. Yeah, there it is. Page 285 of the New Testament. Keep your bookmark in Colossians 2. Look at page 285 at the end there of the New Testament. Get everybody time to turn to page 285. You can put a line or take a, a, a marker and mark the this one's a little bit different than the most recent one. Uh, so I do need to update this one. You can find the unleavened bread. Where is that? In a cross. Invasion of Israel. That would be that's the third date on the top of the calendar, the invasion of Israel. That would be on the unleavened bread. So you could put UB, the unleavened bread, next to that. And notice the next one is Pentecost. So the third one is the invasion of Israel, and the next one is the walking in of the sixth seal. Now, between those two dates of the invasion of Israel and the walking in of the sixth seal, it's much more than 50 days. It's like over two years. But it goes from the unleavened bread, and the next date, on the holy day calendar is Pentecost. So you would be counting the days. Now, it's not 50 days. It's not 50 weeks. It's not 50 months. It's not 50 anything that I can find yet or been revealed to me yet. But I don't think it's coincidence. I don't think it's coincidence at all that we count the days from unleavened bread until Pentecost. So despite the fact that there is no 50 connected with that, we still count the days between those two holy days. And we're learning that as we keep all the holy days, we learn. I think there's more to be revealed about that, don't you think? I think there's more to be revealed about that about that timeline, even though it's over two years. In the meantime, we take this next step in the revelation. 
end-time revelation that's reserved for our generation. We take this next step today in realizing that we count the days from unleavened bread to Pentecost. Right now we count 50, but during the tribulation we'll count over two years. And what we're waiting for is revival. That Pentecost is when the 144,000 will be sealed at the sixth seal, and then those 144,000 virgin males who are all Israelites from around the world will witness and preach and evangelize the world, resulting in millions and millions and millions of people, people from every language, every tongue, every tribe, every nation on earth. People in great, 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 great numbers will be saved. The great multitude, Revelation 7 and 14. We count the days to that. We count the days to revival. Praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. And they counted the days from, they would have been counting the days. the time Jesus rose until Pentecost, they, they knew to count the days from unleavened bread to Pentecost. And they counted the days to revival and there was over 3,000 souls saved on that day of Pentecost in Acts 2. It teaches us to count, to look for, to not frown, to not get discouraged not grow weary because there is a true revival coming that we can look forward to and count the days to. At that time, it was 50 days. In our time, it will not be 50 days. But we still count, we still count the 50 days, and there's going to be a connection. Sooner or later, there will be a connection made as we continue to learn more, as God continues to reveal more to us to the apostles and prophets and brethren of today. Bible still being written, people. God is not mute. God did not stop talking when Paul died. There was apostles after Paul, and there are still apostles and prophets. Do not be stuck in legalism, because legalism is caused by ignorance and not thinking things through and false doctrine. Legalism is caused by false religion, false doctrine, focus on the law, focus on the letter of the law, and not on God himself. Legalism is the opposite of liberty in Christ Jesus. Now here in Colossians, let's go back to that. Colossians 2 Paul says in verse 16, don't let people condemn you for enjoying, for eating and feasting and drinking alcohol and keeping the holy days. Do not let people condemn you. And those people that would be condemning you, they would be condemning you out of ignorance, false religion, false doctrine, and condemning you wrongfully. Verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. 
That means telling you you can't enjoy life. You've got to crucify the flesh. You can't enjoy nothing. Can't enjoy nothing, man. You've got to be bored. You've got to be stuck in boredom. You cannot enjoy life. You cannot enjoy feasting, partying in the holy days. You just got to be totally crucified. You just got to die. And the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions that he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Some people have false visions, false dreams. And they take these things as the word of God. And they're not. They're wild imaginations. Some of them are demonic dreams, demonic visions. And some of them were just because of their fleshly mind. They saw, they saw a movie or had an idea, read a book, then they had a vision or dream about it, and they think it's from God, and it's not. It's their own mind playing tricks on them. It happens all the time, constantly, constantly. Verse 19, and not holding fast. These people don't hold fast to the head, Christ, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from Theos. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to degrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all things refer to things decent to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? In other words, you've got these Pentecostals and Baptist people that says you can't touch alcohol. You can't do it. It's forbidden. That's a commandment of man. That's not a commandment of God. That is not a commandment of God. That's teaching of men. You can't taste it. You can't touch it. You can't handle it. And it lists as alcohol. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, which are of no value against fleshly indulgence. We have the liberty in Christ to enjoy alcohol, and we should not be afraid of it. We should not be afraid of it. I plan on drinking more, not less. It is a blessing from God. It makes the heart merry. It makes me nicer and friendlier. It really does. It makes me a better person when I'm drinking. I'm not so grumpy. I bet Robert eventually will be like every, every morning when I get up, here's you some wine, Pastor Tim. <laughs> so I won't be grumpy. Praise Jesus. 
Let's go to the Old Testament for a minute in the Book of Wisdom. Let's go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I've got a copy without page numbers. But we will get it fixed. Ecclesiastes 9 is toward the latter end. Give everybody time. I think everybody but me has, I don't know about Brittany, most people have it with page numbers. It was fixed very quickly. Uh, but me and Brittany, we don't have the page. Got it, though. Please have your time. I do hope to... Um, come out with a brand new update of the Alpha Mega Bible for everyone here in another couple months or so. Sooner maybe. Let's see. Oh, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5. 5 through 10. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5 through 10. For the living will know that they shall die but the dead know nothing. And there's no longer any reward for them, for the memory is lost. They, they're not enjoying their reward in heaven or hell. Verse 6, also their love and their hatred and their envy have now perished. There's no love in heaven by humans, only God and the angels. Yes, there is no portion for them anymore until the end of term, the end of their death, and all that is done under the sun. So go eat your bread with mirth and drink your wine with a joyful heart. And now, now, right now, Theos has favorably accepted your works. Amen. Let your garments be always white, symbolically. So you can actually be clothed in white linen of saints and still drink your alcohol, right? And let not oil be wanting on your head. And experience life with your wife whom you love all the days of your life of your vanity, which are given you under the sun, for that is your portion in your life. And in your labor, wherein you labor under the sun, and what, in other words, Enjoy life now because you know you're going to die. Enjoy life. Enjoy being with your wife or your husband. Drink your alcohol. Enjoy life. Enjoy the fiestas. Don't think you've got to die when you come to Christ. Yes, you do have to die and crucify the sin, but legalism makes you think everything's a sin. That's what legalism does. Legalism makes you think everything's a sin. It's a sin to drink. It's a sin to have a good time. It's a sin to keep the holy days. It's a sin to obey God. It's a sin to be married. You know, it's a sin for everything. I could say more, but being easy. 
Verse 9, experience life with your wife. I said that. Verse 10, whatever your hands are trying to do, do it of all of your might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you go. In other words, life is short. Enjoy life. You're not going to do nothing after you die. You're just going to sit there. You're going to sit there and rot. <laughs> rot and stink. So it's time today to do whatever you can do. There's a, a song they play on the country music stations sometimes. And it says, live like you're dying. Live like you're dying. To go parachuting and all that stuff. Do adventure. Live adventurous. Live spontaneous and adventurous. Go traveling. See the world. Enjoy life. Don't be stuck in legalism. Amen. Now, this applies spiritually and physically, both. You can be spiritually legalistic and you can be physically legalistic and even emotionally and mentally legalistic. You can be an over-condemning, over-judgmental person about everything, spiritually and physically. You can be over-legalistic about your health. You can be scared and paranoid because somebody said something, you read some article, saw something on the news, read some book, whatever the case may be, that alcohol is bad for you. Or you've known a million people who were alcoholics. Well, just because a million people have a problem, like I said recently, just because a million people have a problem with something does not mean you have to Limit yourself and be afraid of that just because those people could not handle it. We can be paranoid about such things. I believe that every blessing of God should be enjoyed. Paul said, don't offend people when you go in their houses. Eat what they give you. I believe we, we live in the house of the Lord of this planet and that we should eat everything that our eye beholds. God said to Noah, everything that moves should be food to you. Our bodies are built upon needing multiple nutrients from multiple sources. We need to have a very varied diet, especially for the Great Tribulation. In the Great Tribulation, we won't be able to eat just five, six, seven things. But we're going to have to eat a little bit of everything that moves and everything that don't move. And we need to do that even now because that is how you honor and respect God and accept the gifts from on high from him and be free from legalism about health and legalism about spiritual things and physical things. We need to be totally free from fear and legalism and ignorance. 
lot of people are very ignorant about alcohol and sugar and wheat and bread and all the delicacies of life. God has given us delicacies that we should enjoy as long as they're not GMO. Amen. Let's go to Matthew 23. Matthew Matthew 23, verses 1 through 30. Verse 1, then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in the seat of Moses in that day and in that time. No more they don't now because Jesus was still teaching the men how to be leaders. Once he died and gave the church to them, gave them the Holy Ghost and Pentecost, sent them out with power and authority to all the world, to baptize people and to make new disciples and new congregations and new pastors and new deacons, the church got transitioned from the nation of Israel with the leadership of the scribes and the Pharisees and those human priests got transferred from that over to the apostles. Amen. But in that day and time while Jesus was still alive, he said to obey the Pharisees and the scribes because at that time they did sit in the seat of Moses, meaning God gave them authority and we were to obey them. That was the government of God on the earth at that time. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe but do not do according to their works, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens, legalism, extra laws, heavy burdens, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with much as a finger. They don't do what they say. But they do all their works to be noticed by mankind out of pride, for they broaden their, however you pronounce that, which are small boxes, one on the forearms and foreheads containing scripture. So they broaden it. They make them bigger so that people can see them easier. So they would make, make sure people know that they're wearing the scripture and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respect for greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by mankind. But do not be called rabbi because one is your Lord, because rabbi is actually an agent word that means God. It's one of the words that meant God or related to the word God because one is your Lord. So don't be called God. Don't be called rabbi because one is your Lord and you are all brothers and you're none of your God. Do not call anyone on earth your hope, your father, 
Now, that doesn't mean you can't call your dad father, although I think that would be weird, personally, to call your dad father because that sounds very informal and unloving. I call dad dad and daddy and mom mama, not father and mother, which sounds so proudful and richy. But it's not saying you can't do that. It, can't, it, doesn't, it doesn't really mean that you can't say father. But in the context, the context is religious leaders that want you to call them pope, that want you to call them father because they're trying to sit in the seat of Moses, because they're trying to sit in the seat of Jesus, the high priest. They're trying to make themselves out as God on earth. That's what the popes do. That's why the Catholics call them fathers. That's the context. This has nothing to do with your parents, unless your parent is a Catholic priest. Okay? So that's another problem of legalism that we're facing right now. It's people, not that I want you to call your parents father. Like I said, that's formal. And it lacks the intimacy that you should have with your parents. When I was a child, I said, Dad, Dad, Mama. You know, and then went from there to Daddy and from there to Dad. To go to Father would be like I went to prep school and, and private school and always wore a suit and a tie or something. It's just very informal and not intimate. So I don't want you to call him Father your earthly dad, but, but the reason that I changed in many places in the translation from father to dad was not because of this verse at all. But I know you thought it was. That was not the reason. The reason I changed it to dad in many verses is to make it different from all the other translations to make it more distinct, more different, and because I'm sure that when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were kids and teenagers and adults, that they were not using formal names for their parents, but they would have said whatever the old agent equivalent would have been for an intimate relationship. The reality of the way the family dramatics work. So I was trying to make it more intimate, what, what more realistic of something that they would have said if they had been speaking English. And then another problem we have with legalism today is people are afraid to say God. But the reason I translated it as theos and not God it's not because God is pagan or wrong or evil or bad translation or wrong translation. No, none of those reasons. The only reason I said Theos instead of God is it's more original to the Greek. It's more original to the agent writings. And to get a transition back to the original language and to make it more distinct from other translations. But what I'm seeing, though, is a bad fruit from this, and maybe I need to change it back to God because I'm seeing people afraid to say God in this congregation, and that's not good. Not good. Please, 
Don't be legalistic about the letter G-O-D. Don't be legalistic about this. You can say praise God. You don't always have to say praise Theos, or Theos said this and Theos said that. You can talk English. It's okay to talk English. There's nothing wrong with the word God. Let's not get legalistic about these ABC words. Verse 10, do not be called guide. The one is your guide, Christ. Now, very soon now, I'm planning on making a new website where I'm going to try to sell my services as a guide of how to eat off the land, how to show people. It's a wilderness guide, a survival guide. This is not what Christ was talking about. He's talking about in the context of religious leaders who were trying to make themselves out as being God on earth. That's the context. He's not saying I can't be a wilderness guide or a tour guide. He's not saying that. Let's not get get legalistic about these letters. Let's keep it in the context of what he was talking about. Verse 11, for the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself should be humbled, and whoever humbles himself should be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So they're blocking people from salvation through their legalism. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land and make one Gentile convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell, Gehenna, as yourselves. So they only make the person worse when they find a convert. They convert them to Judaism. They don't convert them to God. They don't convert them to Christ. They just convert them to a man-made religion and man-made laws and the man-made tamad, tamad, mood, whatever it's called. So verse 15 says that. Then verse 16, woe to you blind guides. Who say, Now here Jesus calls them guides, but not in the context that they're God on earth, like they claim, but rather in a guide who is leading you, a person who is leading you. He, right here, he uses the very word he tells you not to use because he's using it in a different way. He's using it in a different way. He's not saying blind gods, but blind leaders, basically, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. Whoever swears by the goat of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men. Which is more important, the goat or the temple? that sanctified the goat. And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. Whoever swears by the offering, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it, by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of Theos and by him who sits upon it. In other words, They were trying to swear by just one part, not by everything. And Christ is basically saying, you got to consider the whole picture and everything that's in the temple. It's all one thing. You can't take one little thing out of context or one little thing and swear by one little thing. It's all connected. That's what he's saying. 
It's all connected. Everything you see the big picture here is what he's saying. So verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tied mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weighter, more heavy provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the other. So they were only tithing of certain things, but forgetting about the spirit of the law, right? They were doing the physical things, but not the spiritual things. They were following what the ABCs said while not thinking about the heart, the mind, the soul, the emotion, the mentality, the spirit of God, what God really wanted. They was missing the big picture. Amen. They was looking at the letter of the law, but not the giver of the law. Amen. In verse 24, you blind guys, to strain out a net and swallow a camel. So he's saying you're, pick, you're picking on the little tiny things and missing the elephant in the room, to use a modern analogy. You're missing the big elephant in the room. You're not seeing the big picture. And so there's a lot of people still like this today, very, very, very much, that will pick at the little things of the law and make a big deal out of it while missing the big picture. For example, many people, we had this problem when we first ran at this ministry building here. That this young lady thought that we was making a mistake. She was totally against. She was part of the congregation, and she was totally against us renting this ministry building. Because at the time, until we ran at this place, we were meeting in the parks wherever we could find a, a picnic table. And... Uh, at their house and uh, different places, wherever we could find to meet. Dealing with flies, spiders, and being run off from our picnic table if somebody had the place reserved and we didn't know it, and the wind and the rain and all kinds of different obstacles that, and small houses and all kinds of different obstacles that we was up against. I really felt led that we need a ministry building where we could actually put up a sign and say, here is the house of God. Come to the house of God. Let people know where we're at, where we're meeting, with a scheduled place, a scheduled time, some actual structure that it would be and it was and is to this day more beneficial to the community, to the ministry, to the work, to the congregation. It's been a blessing. It has helped the work of God tremendously. But this young lady thought, well, they were meeting in the houses. In the book of Acts, they were going house to house. They were breaking bread in each other's houses. 
They was praying at each other's houses, and a lot of people think they were. A lot of people think that we're not supposed to have a church building. A lot of people are teaching we are not supposed to have a pastor, and we're not supposed to have a church building. Lots of people are teaching this. Lots of people are just meeting in their homes or out in the park, and. Most of those places don't even have a designated pastor. They just get together each week and and they take turns <clears throat> each week or not even taking turns and just whoever wants to throw something out that week. And each one brings their own ideals, their own thinking, their own imaginations, their own dreams of their carnality and their imaginations. And they lay out why they think Yahshua is the name and why they shouldn't eat pork and all this other legalism and lies of the devil. And there's nobody to say, you're wrong and this is the way it really is because nobody's going to step up to be the leader like it should be. That's chaos. That's chaos. The fact is, we need a building and a structure and a pasture. We need ordained times and days and appointed times and appointed places where Jesus has established his name and his authority and his leadership and his government. Government, organization, and structure. These are elementary things that are all extremely important. It is legalistic to think that it has to be only living room congregations. I've done that. When I first started preaching in 2006, I started a living room congregation. Had that for two years. I've done that. I've been there and done it. It doesn't work. Even though I had structure and I had organization and I had government and I was the leader and I was the pastor, it still didn't work. Because when you're in a private home, who wants to put up a sign on their private house say, anybody that wants to walk into my house? It doesn't make sense. And how are people going to find you? You can put it on the Internet and the websites and stuff like that, but you're not going to find local people if you don't put a sign up on the building. You need local people, or at least got to try to reach local people. And if somebody actually going to come to your house, you've got to have local people. So it just doesn't work. The fact is, the only reason in the book of Acts that they were meeting in their houses is because it was the great tribulation of their time. Persecution, martyrdom. They had to hide in the basements, basically of their time, their closets, their prayer closets. That was the context. It wasn't because they were forbidden to have a meeting place. Come on now. Legalism and ignorance and not seeing the big picture of evangelism, reaching the world, reaching your community. You know? And so they strain out a gnat and swallow a camel People do this with their health. People do this with alcohol. People do this with houses and and words and letters and a million things. This is still a problem. So 
anyway, let's go over to um, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 verses 1 through 4. Now remember that Galatians, I hope that every one of you already knows what Galatians is about. The main context of Galatians is circumcision. Over and over and over and over. How many times does it say in the introduction that the word circumcision, 16 times. 16 times in this very small book, family small book, 16 times is the word circumcision or uncircumcised or different variations of that word. Even in these verses right here, it mentions circumcision more than once. You've got to understand the context. And it says in verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Do not return back to the Hebrew roots. Do not return back to the Torah. Do not return back to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paulus, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the entire law. If you think you have to be circumcised, then you also must stone the witch, kill the homosexual, and everything. You got to kill your next door neighbor and everything. And you got to keep the whole law if you think you got to be circumcised and you got to slaughter an animal every time you sin, right? If you got to be circumcised, if you got to cut skin, then yes, you got to cut skin. You got to cut animals and sacrifice animals. If you're going to let blood, you got to let blood. You got to keep, once you start letting the blood, you got to keep letting the blood. You got to keep the whole law of the old covenant. Verse 4, you have been severed, if you have been circumcised, if you have been circumcised under your own will, under your own will, if you decided that you had to be circumcised in order to serve God, in order to be saved, then you have been severed from Christ, cut off from Christ. You who are seeking to be acquitted by the works of the law, you have fallen from Grace. How much more clear can you get? How much more clear can you get? And yet, there was a man right here that came to services one day, last year I think it was, maybe the year before, who said that, yeah, people, the men have to be circumcised. It's required. Because Jesus said that he did not come to do away with the law. There's no law done away with that until heaven and earth pass, none of the law of the prophets or anything shall pass away. And they use that about you can't eat pork and shrimp. They use that for that too. And all the other stuff from the old covenant. No laws done away with. No laws done away with. No laws done away with. Well, if that's true, that no laws done away with, you've got to keep the whole law. 
You got to keep the whole law. And I told him that. I said, I'm going to hold you to this. Next time you sin, I'm going to make sure you come here, you tell me you sin. I'm going to make sure you slaughter an animal. I told him that. Because you got to keep the whole law if you think you got to be cut. And Jesus said that he did not come to destroy the law. He was talking about the Ten Commandments, not the Old Covenant. Because we know he did come to destroy the Old Covenant. He did come to destroy the Old Law. He said, this is my blood, this is my body of the New Covenant. So yes, he did come to destroy law. But when he said that he did not come to destroy law, he meant the Ten Commandments in the Holy Days. That's what he meant because you just got to keep reading that chapter of Matthew 5 or 6, whichever it is. And it says, it lists the Ten Commandments, most of them. And so it's the Ten Commandments because that's the context of the chapter. You just got to read the whole chapter. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I know you've heard all this stuff before, most of it before. But I got to say it over and over again for the new listeners and the people that's not been around for a long time. Because not everybody's heard all this before. So I do have to repeat myself. Make sure everybody has heard all of this. Because all these things are important. It's worth repeating. It's worth repeating. And even if you've heard it a million times, every time you hear it, it strengthens it in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your memory, so that you can use these same verses as the sword of the Lord against false doctrine. You'll know how to respond to people. Somebody, if everybody you meet, anybody you meet in the future that says you have to be circumcised, you know how to respond. You've got to keep the whole law. And I'm going to hold you accountable to it. That should be your response. Next time you sin, you've got to call me up and tell me because I'm going to hold you responsible. I'm going to be your accountability partner. And you have got to sacrifice an animal because you've got to keep the whole law. None of the laws done away with. Play their game. Play their game. They think you got to keep the whole law. Hold them accountable to it. 1 Corinthians 6, that will wake them up, hopefully. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 through 20. Verse 12, the majority of things are lost. We already read that. Da, 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 maybe not. Did we read this? No, we didn't read this. He just repeats himself in a different chapter. Verse 12, the majority of things were lawful for me, but not all things were profitable. The majority of things were lawful for me, but I would not be mastered by anything. So he's basically saying, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do. But let them not become a habit. Let them not take over our lives. Let nothing physically, let none of our liberty master us. Okay? Verse 13, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. The theos would do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for sin, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now theos has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of prostitutes? And they may it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? 
For he says the two should become one flesh. Right there it tells you you have a sexual prostitute. You're joined to her. Sex will mix the souls together. You're connected. Women know that much more than men. You have sex with a woman one time, she is connected to you. They know it, understand it, feel that, feel that reality much more than the men do. Verse 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sin. Paul said that in another verse we read. Run from sin. Run from idolatry, he said it in the other verse. Every sin that a man commits is from outside the body, meaning it's a spiritual thing. But a sinful person sins against his own body, against the temple of the Lord, alcoholism, adultery, so forth. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, whom you have from Theos, and that you're not your own? You're not your own. Your body belongs to the Lord. We have been bought with a price, therefore glorify Theos in your own body. So we do have to be careful. I'm not teaching liberalism, that we can do anything we want to do. Paul basically, in different words, saying there is a proper balance. A lot of things are lawful to do, but you've got to be careful that nothing masters you other than Christ himself. But there are reasons for legalism. And one of it is being afraid that something will master you. To just be afraid that it might master you is paranoia. If you have the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will keep you accountable. The Holy Ghost will lead you, guide you, and warn you and keep you moderate in all things. There are certain things we could do and certain things that we need to run from. But you don't have to run from every little thing. There are some things that are fully acceptable that we should actually even embrace. Liberty. The Bible does talk about liberty, and liberty should be embraced. We have to learn how to embrace more liberty and still run from sin at the same time. We have to learn how to do that. It comes with practice. It comes with maturity. It comes with much teaching and hearing it over and over and over, reading the Bible and being receiving more of his Holy Ghost that will lead you in all these things to greater maturity and boldness, courage, Liberty, but yet without sin. It's totally possible, but you have to not be paranoid about exercising liberty. You have to live life, enjoy life. Let's go to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're almost done. We've got this one and then one more place. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 13, 1 Peter 2, verse 13. 
1 Peter 2, verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That would be to the church as well as man's government, every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and to the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of Theos, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondservants of Theos and honor all people and love the brotherhood and fear Theos and honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. We are still supposed to obey the laws and the kings. And for this, finds favor if for the sake of conscience, Lord Theos, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you suffer and you sin and are harshly treated that you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with Theos. Amen. So, in Peter 2. Now, why does it say in verse 16, act as free men, when the whole context of this is obedience toward man's government? Why does it put that in the middle of that? Act as free men. It must be because he's trying, Peter is trying to say, even though you've got to be obedient, there's still room for liberty as well. Don't think that just because there are laws and commandments and obedience that there's not room for liberty as well. There's still room for liberty. There's still uh, exceptions to the law. There's still liberty. So even though the law here in the United States, in most states or maybe every state, says you have to wear your seatbelt if the car is running all the time, all the time, all the time. Cars running, you have to be wearing your seatbelt, at least in the front seat. Some states, the back seat too. Some states, just the front seat. I think it's only the front seat here in Tennessee as far as I know. Me, that's a good law, and that's wisdom to protect you. And we're supposed to obey that because that is the law, and it's based on wisdom and safety and protection and life. It's good. It's reasonable. But I'm not going to be so paranoid and legalistic about it that. I'm afraid to break that law if I'm out in the middle of nowhere on a back country road and there's no traffic around and it's not a dangerous deer crossing or a place known for a lot of accidents and it's not known for a lot of bears and accidents like that, but rather it's, it's clear. You can see alongside the road, not blocked by a lot of trees. And there's not a cop in a million miles. 
I'm going to rip that seatbelt off. And I'm going to enjoy being able to breathe a little bit deeper and expand my lungs a little bit deeper and feel the breeze better coming in the window. I'm going to enjoy life. God will not send me to hell for that. Oh, you, you tuck your seatbelt off in 2018 for 15 minutes. I'm going to send you to the lake of hell. No. God is not like that. It's okay to exercise some liberty, live life, enjoy life, and be free from the bondage of all the law constantly. It's okay. And just like law here in the United States, they say you have to have a fishing license. I am not paying for a fishing license. I'm not paying for it. I have the God-given right to hunt and to fish. When I'm hungry or even for enjoyment, God owns the fish, the water, the land, me, my arms, my hands, the fishing rod. I do not need permission from humanity, human law, to who I have sex with and to go fishing and hunting or swimming. And I've seen many, many people swimming where it says no swimming. God bless them. I'm glad they're swimming. I'm glad they're having a good time. I'm not going to call the police. And I'm not going to condemn them and judge them. They're having a good time. There's no danger. No danger. Of course, there might be some places where there's danger. That might be a different situation. But the places I've seen, there's no danger. They know how to get out of the water when a boat's coming. They're not stupid. But the signs are there for the stupid. The signs are there for the people that don't know the coffee's hot. The sign is on the, on the side of the coffee cup. Beware, the coffee is hot. So let stupid people know the coffee is hot so they won't get sued like they did get sued. The Bible says this. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1. One Timothy chapter 1, entire chapter. 1 Timothy 1, entire chapter. One Timothy 1. Verse 1, Paulos, an apostle of Christ. Boy, Paul must have been awful proud for man. No, no. He just accepted his office. He accepted who he was in Christ Jesus, his duty, his responsibility. An apostle of Christ Jesus according to the commandment of Theos, our Savior, and of our Christ Jesus who is our hope. To Timotheus, my true son, Spiritually, he was a father, a spiritual figure, spiritually father figure to Timothy. In the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from Theos, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, 
Remain on an Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than the administration of theos, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, recognizing, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who murder their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So in other words, the law is for the wicked, the rebellious. To tell the rebellious, the wicked, the dark-hearted people, don't kill, don't lie, don't steal. Don't commit adultery. This is an amazing verse, Amy. It's an amazing verse. Now, does that give us license to go and kill? Because it says that the law is not for the righteous? No. Because if we go and kill, that is, I mean murder, if we go and murder, then we become these people. We become those people who would murder. If we go and lying and stealing and killing and kidnapping and homosexuality and all these things, then we become the very people that the law was made for. Amen. So we still can't break the law no matter who it's made for, but we read this and understand it so that we start under understanding that the law was not made in order to make us afraid and legalistic and stuck and in a narrow little tiny box or under chains. Not to put bondage and heavy burdens on our shoulders like it said that the Pharisees did, but rather so that we would behave, so that we not make mistakes that go across the line, the red line. So that we would not make those horrible, horrible mistakes that result in prison, wrong imprisonment, or, or right, righteous imprisonment, however I need to say that. The end up getting us in trouble. So the law is good when it is used rightfully but you can misuse the law in a legalistic way, focusing on the letter and not the spirit. The spirit of it is to keep righteousness, keep righteousness, to give you a guideline to go by. There are exceptions to the law. You've got to understand it. And there is liberty. In addition to the, the law is not the whole Bible. 
the law is not the only element of Scripture. There is also mercy, grace, and liberty, and freedom in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus gives that freedom from the letter of the law. We still got to keep the commandments. He says, if you do not keep my commandments, you do not love me, and the truth is not in you. We have to keep the Ten Commandments, these very laws that it says, but not in a legalistic fashion and not focusing on that letter, but live in the Spirit. Why did it say this? How can I apply this spiritually? That's it for the scriptures, but I'm just going to declare a little bit more about some of the reasons that I did not cover. Some of the reasons for legalism is narrow-minded Westernism. I'm going to call it Westernism. I don't know if there's a word, but I'm going to call it that. Westernism to where a Western mind frame, narrow-minded Westernism, it is a ism, and it is a theology based upon Western society, Western teaching, such as uh, that a man can only have one wife. That is Western-minded theology, brainwashing. We have to get out of that narrow-minded Western theology. It is legalism to say a man can only have one wife. Uh, many, many, many true men of God, including Moses, had more than one wife. And the law at that time even said that the Israelite men could not have a Gentile woman, but yet Moses had a Gentile woman, an Ethiopian black woman, most likely, whereas he was a white Israelite man. And that was against the letter of the law, but it was not against the spirit of the law. And when his brother and his sister spoke out against him, saying the letter of the law says this, God struck them down for condemning Moses. And they were just going by the law. That Moses had liberty in the law. He, whatever reason, wanted or needed this woman. And God did not allow even his own brother and sister. And this brother was the high priest. Did not allow them to condemn Moses for doing this. Amen. So that's one of the reasons for legalism is a narrow-minded Western mentality and ignorance, not really knowing all the facts, and being too stiff-necked, being too stiff, not being loose. We've got to loosen up a little bit. I have taught so much law 
You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And all of that was proper and right. But I do not want to be a man of law, rather a man of righteousness. And there is a difference. You can keep all the letter of the law and still not be saved. Got to loosen up a little bit and enjoy life and not be over-condemning and over-judgmental, which is a huge, huge problem. Being unrealistic is another reason for legalism. Being unrealistic about God's expectations and what a man needs, being unreal, unrealistic about what a man needs. There are a lot of situations where many, 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 many men need more than one wife. Many situations. And it's unrealistic to think that all men need only one woman. And it's unrealistic to think that a man should be a grown man and not drink alcohol or not cuss at all. That's unrealistic. Or that Men should never, ever, ever masturbate. But that's against God's law and against God's will. That's unrealistic. There is reality. There is reality about men's needs. Legalism is caused by being unrealistic, narrow-minded, Western mentality, False doctrine, false religion, programming by our parents, programming by society, programming by false religion, false doctrines. Short-sightedness, being short-sighted about why did God make these laws. Being short-sighted about the future and reality and the big picture. Only seeing the gnat that's swallowing the camel, being short-sighted about God's plan, God's purpose, people's needs, seeing only the small picture and not the big picture, not looking enough at God, looking too much at Moses, not focusing enough on Jesus, not praying enough, not worshiping enough, thinking too much about the law, not thinking enough about grace and mercy and love and peace and happiness and rejoicement, all those things are just as important. God to look upon the positive of Philippians 4. Think upon the praiseworthy things, the things of good report, the positive things as well. We need a full gospel, not a narrow-minded gospel, not just part of the gospel, not just the legalistic parts, but also the freedom and liberty parts. All of this is important. Every bit of it is important. Amen. Legalism is a danger to our soul. 
and it restricts us from enjoying life. Amen. Jesus himself has confirmed this message today repeatedly. I have no doubt that every word I have said has the blessing of God today. I have no doubt. I stand here and declare all of this in the name of Jesus. And if anything I have said ruffles your feathers too much and you disagree with me, I ask you to take it to the Lord in prayer and really think it through. Look upon Jesus less on the Torah, less on the letter of the law, and more on the spirit of the law, the liberty that is in Christ Jesus. You know that I teach commandments and do's and don'ts but we also must exercise liberty. Amen. Well, go and drink your wine. <laughs> Be merry. It is a, a, a basically a sort of a holiday. And it don't have to be a holiday to enjoy life. We're going, hopefully, camping here in another week or two. I plan on having fun and breaking the law more than once. Talk about man's law, but not in a way that would bring harm or danger or breaking God's will or stepping across the red line. No, I don't plan to do any of that. But I do plan on stretching my wings a little bit, flying a little bit, being myself, who I really am, and not wearing a mask. Plan on being who I really am and enjoying life and fresh air and liberty. Amen. People need to do that. Breathe life. Live like you were dying. When you live like you're dying, you'll be less inhibited, still fearing the Lord because you're dying, you're going to meet your master. You're still going to face the judgment seat of Christ. You're not being stupid or foolish. You know you're dying, but you're still going to meet your maker very soon. That's a serious thing. But yet, you're less inhibited, less fearful. And willing to spread your wings and take more risk. You know you're going to die anyway. You're willing to jump out of the plane in the parachute because you're going to die anyway, so you might as well have fun doing it. But it's not breaking the law. Unless they're telling you, you've got to have a license to do that, and you do it anyway, then you're breaking the law, but God's not going to send you to hell for it. Amen. Oh. I stand here as a man in bonds to the Lord, a prisoner of the Lord. 
but I also stand here as a free man. A free man who is not only a servant of the Lord, but a friend of the Lord. I walk behind the Lord as he leads me through the land. He is my master and I follow him wherever he goes. But my master also says to me, take off the training wheels and run and fly. Amen. And I also lay my head on his chest and love him and look into his eyes and say, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. I stand here in the spirit of Romans 7 and then Romans 8 verse 1. For there is no condemnation for those that be in Christ Jesus. Amen. All of this in Jesus' name. I hope you understand. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen.